always hard to follow the British accent. You know, you're kind of setting yourself up. Isn't the British accent the best? Where's Jay at? Come on, somebody. I think come on. Um, I remember when I was 10 years old, I was at a Good Friday service uh, with my church and some family. And on that particular Good Friday, uh, an aunt of mine was at our church. And I remember it clear as day. Um, we were singing and celebrating Good Friday and reflecting. And I looked up as a 10-year-old and tears just came down her face. And I think this was probably the first time I'd ever been in a worship service with her. And I remember just looking up as a 10-year-old and it was like something changed in me. As I saw these tears stream down her face as she was singing about the death of Jesus. I began to realize, you know, in my 10-year-oldness, and you know, if some of you are 10 and some of you are in this room, there's all sorts of things going on in your life at 10. But in that moment, as I looked up, it was like that, the first moment where I saw something where I was like, whoa, this is, this is legit. Somebody actually believes this story to the point where it moves them to tears. And it was a moment in my life where I look back and I look and I think about the, the numbers of people in this room and around the world that step into the Jesus story and celebrate this. And it actually is something that consumes our lives. That moment will never, never leave me as I looked and I saw somebody who, who understood what it means for Jesus to die and to raise again. And this is historical. I mean, the scriptures say that 500 people saw Jesus after his resurrection. We could have all sorts of teachings and sermons that are like that, but here's what I just want to show you. The biblical story that we read from Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation can be summed up in three chapters. Chapter number one, orientation. Can you say that with me? Orientation. Beautiful. You so, sound so good this morning, Easter Sunday. You know, in the, in the story, we get a picture that heaven and earth are together that there's shalom and peace. God is in rhythm, not only with humans, but with the earth. Everything is good. There's no shame in relationships. There's peace, not just, con not just absence of conflict, but pure peace with the creator God who created the heavens and the earth. And we know that that story only lasts a couple of pages, that very quickly humans have this response and they actually enter into rebellion. Instead of serving God in the garden and, and creating and, and cultivating with him, they turn and they really make a decision that it sets them up as humans to want to be like God, to become him, to have power and authority. And through this rebellion, we know, if you, like C.S. Lewis, he often talks that the world now is bent and broken and there is disorientation disorientation. I mean, you know this. Just look. You can look outside our city and you look around the world and you know this, that there is something off, that something isn't right. The pain, the suffering, the injustice, humans ultimately wanting to become God. And we see this all around our culture. In the course of this disorientation, I mean, this is actually really the whole story. A lot of the Old Testament is all about disorientation. And one of the things that God actually does is through this is he, there's a level of discipline. He comes and one of the things we see is that for humans, there's going to be some really tough days. There'd be pain and child, childbearing. Anybody with me? Anybody been there? I've been there four times. And yes, there was epidurals, but it's not fun. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's beautiful, but it's not fun. You know what I'm saying, right? Pain and childbearing. Listen to what God actually says. Some of you are expecting, you're like, shut up, right? And that's all right. 
Listen to what one of the curses is on the, the, the humans or the man. It says this in Genesis 3.19. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. This is clear that God created a world for humans to flourish in forever And out of their own rebellion, out of them kind of wanting to go their own direction, now God says, listen, now you will die. I hate to break it to you, one out of one, 10 out of 10 of us will die. We'll go back to the dust that we came from. And this is kind of the depressing part of the story in a sense because it shows that there's disorientation all over the place. At the cosmos, there needs to be a reclaiming, a renewing, there needs to be humans brought back into God's plan and into relationship with him. But amongst all of the really not so good stuff in this story, listen to what God says. He says in uh, chapter three, verse 15, he says this to the serpent, to the Satan, to evil. He says, you will crush your head and you will strike his head. Or some translations say, you will strike or nip his heel. The picture here we get is that God is already, from Genesis 3 on, God has put into plan and into motion that he would reclaim humanity, that there would be this cosmic battle with evil. Yes, evil's head would be crushed, and along the way, evil would nip the heel of God's plan and work in the world. But this is a picture for us that even before all of the really bad things that happened throughout Genesis, and even as God calls Israel to be a people, a light to the nation, and they fail, God continually is calling his people. And he calls a guy named Abraham and says, your family is going to be a light to the world, and they fail. And so the story is disoriented, but from the very beginning, there's this picture that God wants his people back until you get to Jesus of Nazareth. And through Jesus of Nazareth, this reorienting way of life is coming into being. Reorientation comes into the story through Jesus. Jesus gets on the scene, and he doesn't just say, hey, I want to take you to a place called heaven. That's actually not really the central part of the story. The central part of the story is Jesus says, listen, repent and believe the gospel, for the kingdom of God is coming here. It's coming here. And so through his words, his deeds, his action, through everything that he did, Jesus was inaugurating a kingdom, a kingdom that would come, not just to save us from sin, that's huge, that's central to the story, but to see his reign and his rule come. And so we know part of the story is he goes into the ground for the work of us, for saving us from our sin, for dying on a cross and being taken off that cross and put in the grave, that every sin that humanity has ever entered into was put on him, and he absorbed that out of love for us. And now resurrection, the reorientation that Jesus has risen from the dead and is saving and setting people free. Are you with me, brothers and sisters? This is an amazing story. A guy named Paul, a few years later, would try and pick it up, and he'd try and help the church understand exactly what this means. And this is what he says. He says this, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as, as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn Christ, the first fruits then, when he comes, those who belong to him, Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God to the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. 
What Paul is saying is this idea of the resurrection changes everything. So most of you guys know me in this room. I would, not, I would be getting ready for the Leafs game at 3 o'clock. Anybody with me? Come on, let's be real. If this wasn't, if this wasn't historical, I know God does his work in us, but if there wasn't actual things that we could grab onto as history, I wouldn't be here. People saw him. People saw him ascend. And what Paul is basically saying here, and he sums it up in this one statement, it's this. Jesus, who is love, conquered death through death and resurrection. And the ultimate reason why he came is he came to reorient us back to God. There was orientation in the garden, disorientation throughout human's history. And the thing that Jesus came to do was to point us back to the Father. The promise is that what happened to Jesus will happen to us, resurrection from the dead, right? So all of us are going to die, but the hope is, and Paul continues to pick up on this, that what happened to Jesus, he is the prototype, they use this word, the first fruits, Jesus is the first, and he's inviting us to now turn from ourselves and follow him into his kingdom forever. Eternal life, my friends, starts right here and right now. And the picture we get is Jesus is the first fruits. What happened to Jesus by coming out of the grave will happen to those of us that trust him. That at the end of this age, he's bringing heaven and earth back together. Jesus is ultimately reorienting us towards him. How cool is that? And here's the thing. This morning, we're going to celebrate in just a couple minutes people stepping into that story. We have a couple people that are going to be baptized. How cool is that? A couple of our kids, Maddie and Maya, and we're going to, in just a couple minutes, celebrate. And this is their demonstration of going into the water and signifying themselves with Jesus' death and then coming out of the water into new life, identifying with what Jesus has done. And so, guys, I, call, I want to call us into this life. Eternal life starts now. Yes, there is a place that Jesus is preparing. And I just felt like this morning, for some of us in this room, I actually, here's what I did. I went into my, like, wardrobe, my drawers, and I grabbed an extra couple pairs of shirts and shorts because I just felt like maybe there's somebody here this morning. Yeah, we're going to have a, a couple kids that are baptized. But maybe here, here, there's somebody this morning that wants to step into new life. And the way to do that is to turn to Jesus and then enter the waters of baptism. Maybe you came this morning. And so if that's you, not to be all dramatic or anything, but if that's you when we start to sing and celebrate and come to the tables in a couple seconds here, and you want to enter the waters as this sign of new life, come and see me. I'm going to be up at the back. We'll, we'll hook you up. Now, here's the thing. Resurrection changes everything. You may, not be, you may not have bought in, but man, when you think about resurrection and what it does, when somebody raises from the dead, it changes the course of human history. And so one of the things we've been feeling is that resurrection also alters the course of our community, of, of our church. And I hope you bear with me. I know there's some people here that you may not be a regular part, part of the community, and we're so thrilled you're here. But I also think, and we've just been contemplating what resurrection would mean for us as a community. And as a community that practices the way of Jesus, one of the things that we do is we continually practice a number of things, including the spiritual disciplines together. And so here's what we're going to do, brothers and sisters. In a few minutes, we're going to come to the table. We're going to have baptisms. But now that we, set, we step in, we move from Lent, which was fasting. And I know a ton of us in this room were fasting together throughout the season of Lent. Now we're going to move to the spiritual practices of feasting and of generosity. 
Resurrection does something within us, and now we're calling everybody that's a part of the Praxis family to feast with us for the rest of the spring and to step into a season of generosity. Here's how it's going to work. You okay? You all right? Here's how it's going to work. First of all, we just want to call you to feast. Here's how it's going to look. In May and June, because resurrection is upon us and because death and sin has been defeated, we encourage everyone a part of our community to, to do a few things. One, have a meal twice a month with people in the church. Now, a ton of our, a lot of our communities meet around the dinner table, so many of you are already doing this. Maybe for some of you, you just want to grab some friends and just eat together in the name of Jesus. What will probably happen, just to break it to you, you'll probably end up as a Praxis community, right? Because this is just how it happens. But we encourage you twice a month, in light of the tomb being empty, to in the name of Jesus, eat with other people in the community. We also encourage you, because of resurrection, to have a meal once a month over the next couple months with people outside the church, with friends and neighbors. Open up your home, your condo, your apartment. Open it up because resurrection is upon us. Jesus is alive. And feast with people. Invite people in. Steward. Be hospitable. And then what we're doing as part of the generosity piece is we just are encouraging everybody just to give money and stuff away every single week over the next eight weeks. Just be generous. And this is not a church thing by any means. We're not talking about praxis. Just be generous with Jesus has risen from the dead. Anybody out there? Come on, somebody. And this just springs something up within us where because he was generous to us, now we get to be generous to others. That may be giving to charity or finding something to do, finding stuff in your probably overcluttered house to give away that would bless somebody else. Think about what you could do over the next eight weeks in response to the tomb being empty. Anybody out there? Now, here's the beautiful thing, and I know some of you are new, and I really contemplated whether we should do this on a morning like this, but I think it's cool. I think we should. I think it's great. Here's what we're hoping to do, because we just don't want you guys to practice resurrection. We want to practice feasting and generosity on a church level, like on an organizational level, though we're not that organized at times. You with me, right? Just joking. You can laugh. It's church. It's okay. You can laugh. All right. Um, here's what we're going to do. For the month of May, what we'd love to do is we're, we're a community that is really trying to be simple with our stuff. And so we're committing in the month of May to be really, really simple. And out of our $7,000 budget, what we're going to do right off the top is we're going to give $600 away to the Meals from the Heart campaign that we're stepping into at the Ronald McDonald House. So we're just going to do that. We're going to put on the best brunch. We're going to bake for them. We're going to have gift cards, all sorts of great stuff. And that is automatically out of our budget. Just right off the top in May, we're going to do that. But as you know, you know, we're not trying to like build this mega thing where we have like loads of money for ourselves. What we're trying to do is to be, be a community because we live so simply to give away. And so here's what we're committed to. Because Jesus has risen from the dead and the tomb is empty and he's bursting in new life and new creation is bursting all around us. Not only do we commit that $600, but what we're hoping to do is this. It takes $7,000 in the month of May to see our community happen. Everything from rent onwards, so the kids' supplies, everything that we do here, very small, low budget. What we're hoping is that we would cover our budget, and then anything else that would come, over, come in over that $7,000 mark would just go out to a local outreach here in the community. So that's $50, if it's $500, if it's $5,000, anything over what it takes in our little minimalist budget to do, we're just going to give it away to a local outreach. We would love to, this is not a gimmick. Some of you are like, we're trying to raise budget in May on Easter of all time. No, I promise you, it's been great here. God has been so good to us. 
and he's been so good to us. Now we're saying, okay, if Jesus has raised from the dead, what could we do in return to be a blessing to those around us? So any, a dollar or $5,000, it will go out to bless others around us because we want to be this community in light of the resurrection that would say, yes, Jesus, we're following you with everything. We believe new creation is bursting forth. We believe this story matters and we want to be caught up, in, caught up in it. You with me, brothers and sisters? And so take that as it is. We're just trying to set ourselves up super simply and just, just do this with joy. And so the days ahead, because Jesus has raised from the dead, are so beautiful. And I'm excited about what's going to happen. And so I'm calling all of us, whether you follow Jesus for years, to again, as we turn now to a time of worship and we come to the tables, to trust him with your life. But if you're in this room and this is new I'm just telling you, this is the greatest story ever told, the greatest thing. And we have some kids that are going to enter the waters of baptism, and all I can say to that is, this is what we do, (laughs) right? This is what we, kids grow up in the way of Jesus, and they make a declaration and a commitment to follow him, and we say, enter the waters as a way to show the world that you do this. You with me? Let's stand up. Let's stand up. We're going to enter into this time.